Uh, it is truly good to be together. Uh, I want to invite you guys to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be reading the word here. I say this often, uh, from the moment we start singing to prayer, to the preaching and learning of his word, uh, it is just good. Sometimes, as we all know, we have uh, difficult weeks. Um, I am a teacher and we're coming to the end of the school year and it's been a tough year. Um, but the singing uh, has, has ministered to my heart, the praying, uh, the listening from our brothers and sisters. Uh, it, is, it is truly good. Now we're going to hear from his word, the first chapter uh, of Genesis. I do realize we have children with us. Um, I read over this. I've read it many times, as many of you guys I'm sure have. Uh, and uh, in thinking about the fact that there's children with us, uh, as we read, we're going to read the first 25 verses. Uh, the kids, I want you to envision what we're going to read. Uh, we're going to read about the waters. We're going to read about vegetation. We're going to read about um, the creatures that live in the water uh, and uh, the birds that fly up above. And as I read, if you're in here, I guess for all of us, we can envision this. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from, from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be, before, be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, 
and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the, of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarms according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning, church. Such a joy to have children join us on this family worship. Uh, I'm, the, today's outline is actually two pages, so, uh, and, but I didn't tell the usher, so they distributed only one page. So you might have only gotten page one or only gotten page two, and I think they're trying to figure out you know, how to get you the other page. So I apologize for that. So as they come through, they're going to give you the other pages. Let me just take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for families. Thank you for children. Thank you for blessing us. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear your word. Help us to respond in faith. Help us to love you more and obey you more faithfully. May we be known for our obedience as your people, saved and redeemed by the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God gave us the history of creation in Genesis 1. But many people reject that for another history, another history which goes like this. About 14 billion years ago, the universe began with an explosion, an explosion so big, so gigantic, so awesome that it would eventually create every single planet, every single star, every single galaxy, everything in the known universe. No one knows how it exploded or why it happened, it just happened. Then four and a half billion years ago, Earth was formed as clouds of dust and ga gas gathered together and formed. Then life began on planet Earth. No one knows how it happened or why it happened. It just happened. One guess from NASA is that comets rain down water and other carbon-based molecules to create this prebiotic soup, basically a big lake full of everything you need for living creatures. And no one knows how that big lake, that prebiotic soup, formed the first cell, the first living organism, or why it happened. It just happened. And those cells became more cells and complex organisms. They assembled into these organisms like fish. Uh, then over longer periods of time there, time, there was random changes or mutations that would change fish into amphibians. And then the amphibians would change into reptiles and then birds and then finally human beings. So you start with a big bang and then after a really long time, you eventually get human beings. If this story is true, then as one atheist put it, we came from nothing by nothing and for nothing. We just simply got lucky. 
we're, lo- we're lucky that we're sitting here as human beings and not still a bunch of chemicals in this prebiotic soup. In other words, we hit the cosmic lottery. I love building Legos with my kids. Uh, their grandparents bought our four-year-old, Alexa, the Elsa's Ice Castle Lego set from the Disney movie Frozen. The recommended age for the f- Ice Castle set is 14 years old. Uh, so if you average four years old and my age, we're more than 14, so I guess we're good. <laughs> Boys and girls, what if I took all the pieces to Elsa's Ice Castle and mixed them up in the box? I decided, well, I don't want to actually build it. It's too much trouble. I'm going to put them all in this box right here, and then I'm going to start shaking. I'm going to just start shaking this box with all the Lego pieces inside of it. And I'm hoping, as I shake it long enough, that eventually it will form into this castle that you see here. Well, maybe not this castle because it's too big to actually fit in this box, but maybe parts of the castle. I'm going to keep shaking it, and then I'm going to open the box, dump it out, and those pieces are just going to assemble themselves into this castle on its own. Now, what if I shook this for one whole year, boys and girls? Do you think think I would get pieces of this castle? What do you guys think? What if I didn't eat or sleep, and I just kept shaking, shaking, shaking? What if I shook for 100 years? or 1,000 years. I just kept shaking for 1,000 years, or, or even 1 million years. Well, you're not going to get the castle. You're just not going to get the castle. It's impossible. Not, not even if you shook this box for 1 billion years. It takes faith to, to believe that I can take a box of Legos and start shaking and shaking, and eventually if I shake long enough, hard enough, I'll get a castle. So it takes faith to believe that chemicals can randomly, with lots of time, with lots of random changes, become a human being, which is infinitely more complex than a Lego castle. But we know it didn't just all happen. Creation didn't just happen. It didn't just pop out by accident. You look at the beauty and the complexity and the design and creation, and that reveals a designer. You don't have to be an advanced scientist to understand that. If you're old enough to build Legos, you can, you can realize that something designed requires a designer. And so Genesis 1 teaches us that God created everyone and everything. As we continue mining the riches of Genesis 1, I want us to see this big idea. Our God formed and filled the heavens and the earth, so enjoy it to his glory as his people. Our God formed and filled the heavens and the earth, so enjoy it to his glory as his people. If we didn't get here by accident, if the universe wasn't just shaken and shaken and shaken until we got everything here, how did God create everything? That's what we're going to look at today, the six days of creation. God created the universe in six days and rested on the seventh. It's interesting to point out that back then, people didn't like the idea that God took six days. They thought, well, God should have created even faster. Why not instantaneously? Why not just snap his fingers and the whole creation is done? Why is there this process? He's God, right? Why does he need to take six days? 
Well, the opposite objection is true today. People don't like the idea that God created in six days because scientists tell us that the earth is billions of years old. We're not going to get into the age of the earth, but the scriptures do record that God took six days. And whether then or now, we're confronted with this question, will you trust the word of God? And God's people have always trusted the word of God. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Please follow along. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before the six days of creation, there seems to be some kind of initial act of creation. Like a potter, it seems like God created clay, and then he would shape it over the next six days. Verse 1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then verse 2 tells us the earth was without form and void. Now, that raises an interesting question. What does it mean to be without form and void? Well, creation wasn't broken. It wasn't corrupted by sin or evil. Mankind hadn't fallen into sin yet. But it was incomplete. It was incomplete. To quote one commentator, it was unformed and unfilled. Unformed and unfilled. The Hebrew word translated as without form is the word tohu. In the Old Testament, the word tohu describes a wilderness. So picture in your mind a desert. A desert isn't a place where life thrives. It's dry. It's barren. Not much grows. Not much lives. Life doesn't thrive in the desert. Tohu means not formed and not developed, and so therefore not ready for life. The Hebrew word translated as void is bohu. The word bohu in the Old Testament describes emptiness. That's what the void means. It means without, without life. So that means a creation that is formless and void is not good. Not good. When God brings judgment, sometimes it's described as uncreation, reversing creation. Creation is dismantled. What does this reversing of creation look like? Well, we get a glimpse of that in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 through 26. Jeremiah's, in Jeremiah chapter 4. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. It's the exact phrase used in Genesis 1. It was without form and void. And to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked, and behold, there was no man. And all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert. And all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. So without form and void, if we look at Jeremiah chapter 4 to help us understand Genesis 1 a little bit, means no light, no man, no birds, no life. Judgment upon Judah returns the land of Judah to a place that's tohu and bohu, uninhabitable and therefore uninhabited. Uninhabitable and therefore uninhabited. So the initial act of creation is tohu, it's without form, it's a wilderness. And it's also bohu, meaning it's void, it's empty. In other words, it's an empty wilderness. 
So the first two verses of Genesis leaves us only with an empty wilderness. But even in this state of formlessness and emptiness, God is sovereign. As we saw last time, God is infinite, eternal, and unchanging. God alone creates. God alone is sovereign. He's in charge as the sovereign, all-powerful creator and supreme governor, the all-powerful sustainer of everything. The end of verse 2 says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And as early as Genesis 1, as Tim hinted at a couple weeks ago, we see glimpses of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. The Father creates through the Son, and the Spirit hovers. The Hebrew word for hovering is used one other time in the Old Testament to describe an eagle that flutters over and spreads out its wings over its young. So the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters like an eagle is hovering over its young. It's, there's, a, there's a sense of protection and care and sovereignty over formlessness and emptiness. Well, because God is the God of life, he's not going to leave creation formless and void. But before he creates life, he has to prepare the place to support life. Pastor Ken Hughes writes, The first three days describe the forming of the earth, and the last three, its filling. The two sets of days are a direct echo and remedy to the opening statement that the earth was without form and void. Formlessness was remedied by its forming in days one to three, and its emptiness by its filling on days four to six. So in the first three days, God takes formless creation, that wilderness, and then forms it. The wilderness is transformed to something lush and beautiful. You might think of cherry blossoms in Washington, D.C. in the spring. If you've ever been there, you see tree after tree of bright white and pink flowers. You're literally immersed in this ocean of blooming flowers and exquisite beauty, canopy after canopy of these gorgeous blooms. That's what God transforms that wilderness into. Then in the second half, the last three days, God fills that void with life. So God forms on the first three days, and then God fills on the last three days. So God forms, and then God fills. So let's walk through this. On day one, God creates light to drive away the darkness. As we saw last time, we see God's awesome power in creation. Right? God says it, God does it, and then God names it. God says it, God does it, and God names it. There's a simplicity to it. There's a power. There's a majesty in it. So God says, let there be light. And boom, there's light. And then he calls the light day. Now, if you look more closely today, we want to see some additional detail. We want to look at some additional detail we didn't cover this time. So let's look at verse 4 of Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So when God does it, we see two other important details. Number one, creation is good. Creation is good. God saw that light was good, and he's enjoying his creation. But that's an enjoyment he graciously invites us to enjoy as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant 
for the eyes to see the sun. I don't think it's an accident that most of us feel happier on a sunny day. There's something about the warmth, the radiance, the beauty of sunlight that lifts up our hearts and spirits. But when the weather is cloudy and rainy, we often feel down. So when it's sunny, go out and enjoy what God has created. Maybe wear a hat and put on some sunscreen if you burn easily like me, but go outside. God didn't make us to just be inside all the time. Our God formed and filled the heavens, so enjoy, so enjoy it to his glory as his people. But it's not just the goodness of creation we see. Number two, creation is separation. Creation is separation. Uh, verse four again, and God saw that the light was good, and then God separated, separated the light from the darkness. There's a separation that takes place, light from darkness. Light and darkness are opposites. Light drives out the darkness. And as God creates on each day, we see separation on each day. And at this point, you might be wondering, did God create darkness as well? And isn't darkness bad? Well, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 7, sheds some light on that, no pun intended. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So yes, we can say, God does create darkness. I form light and create darkness, he says. But Genesis 1 is before the fall, so darkness isn't evil. But notice that God doesn't call it good either. God calls the light good. The light is good, but the darkness, darkness isn't called good. So after day one, we now have light, but there's no sky. Imagine, boys and girls, if we lived on planet Earth and there was only water, there was only oceans, that the waters from the oceans were as high as or even higher than the clouds and it filled up the whole planet. No air, only water. Boys and girls, can you breathe underwater? Can anyone breathe underwater? I can't. How long would you have to live if there was no water on planet Earth? Um, no air on planet Earth, only water. Anyone have any ideas? No one can shout it out. Any boys and girls have any ideas? Who else swimming? How long do you hold your breath? Five minutes. You can survive for five minutes if you had no air to breathe. So on day two, God creates the firmament or sky to support life. Verse 6, and God said, verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God creates sky and God creates space. The Hebrew word translated as expanse is rakia. Rakia. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the language of metalworking, the language of God stretching out something like a metal worker would hammer out metal. This powerful work, this separating work, separates the waters above from the waters below. And it's a work that leads us to worship God. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Isaiah 44, 24. So God has made this expanse, made this sky. But what is this expanse exactly? What does it mean to have waters above? Well, most likely refers to the atmosphere. You know, you have the sky above us with clouds. And then beyond that, you've got the space, outer space. So you've got the sky above and the space beyond us. But I also believe it's more than just sky and space that God creates on day two. There's an unseen, glorious, and spiritual reality that Scripture describes. We're going to go into the book of Ezekiel to get a little glimpse into that. After Judah goes into exile, the prophet Ezekiel sees visions of God. There's a stunning vision of four living creatures. These are cherubim, and these cherubim have a human likeness with four faces and four wings. Let's look at Ezekiel. It's in your outline. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, and that word rakia, it's the same word, rakia. There was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads, spread out above the heads of the cherubim. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward another. Let's go on. And there came a voice from above the expanse, above the rakia, over their heads. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness, was a likeness with a human appearance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. From Ezekiel chapter 1. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, God pulls back the curtain a little bit and gives us a window into the heavenly realm, into this expanse, this rakia, which I believe God created on day two. So when God created the heavens, there is a rakia, an expanse, which serves as some kind of ceiling to the universe. And it also seems to be the floor of heaven. It almost, it's like uh, the ceiling of your downstairs is the floor of your upstairs. And if we connect the dots, Scripture suggests that on day two of creation, God's doing some work on the heavenly realm as well. There's this rakia. So once again, we see separation on day two, not just separation of and creating of the sky, the separation of the sky and the sea in the earthly realm, but we see some kind of separation, some kind of barrier between heaven and earth with that expanse, that rakia. But if you look more closely back at Genesis chapter 1, you notice what isn't present on day 2. God doesn't say it is good. God saw that the light was good, but he doesn't say that this expanse is good. Look at the text. Take a quick moment. Look at the text. Genesis chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 8. Just scan it real quick. Take a moment. Scan it real quick. It's not there. God doesn't say it is good. After every other act of creation, we see God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. It's repeated over and over again. But why is it missing here on day two? Why is that missing? 
Well, if we see that the rakia is more than the sky because it's like a dome, a ceiling to our universe and the floor to heaven, then we can see why it isn't good. Heaven is separated from earth. The heavens are separated from the earth. There's a barrier between heaven and earth. Theologians use the term sub-eschatological. Probably never heard of that before. Sub-eschatological, but I'm going to explain it. Sub means less than or below, like submarine, like below the water, right? Sub means less than. Eschatological means completed, perfected, glorified. So sub-eschatological means less than perfected. Less than perfected. Creation is less than perfected because heaven and earth aren't together. They're separated. So let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Skipping ahead just a little bit from Genesis chapter 1, we're going to Revelation 21. We get an idea where the sky and the sea are headed. What happens to that expanse at the end of time? Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, again in your outline. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Did you notice that from Revelation? At the end of time, when Jesus returns, the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, and heaven and earth are joined together. There's no longer any barrier, no longer any separation between heaven and earth. No more sea, no more sky, no more expanse, no more firmament, no more rakia. And on that day when that happens, that will be good. That will be good. Moving on to day three. On day three, God creates land. Day three has a double creation, first land and then fruitful land. The first part of day three is in verses nine and 10. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So creation is good. The gathering of the waters into one place called the seas is good. It's good to have dry land because God is preparing the world for the pinnacle of his creation, humanity, human beings like us. We weren't made to live on water. And we see creation is separation. The waters are separated from the land. The second part of day three is described beginning in verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Again, creation is good. Verse 12 says, God saw that it was good. And you think of all the amazing diversity of plants and shrubs and trees and flowers. Something like Longwood Gardens, if you ever have been, gives you some idea of God's creative power on day three. If you've been to Longwood Gardens, you see so many different flowers, so many stunning plants, so many amazing things to look at, amazing blooms, amazing petals, amazing organic symmetry in these flowers. And you're wowed when you see these things. You see these flowers, you see these trees. And then you turn around to be wowed again, and then again and again. 
It's a bit of a sensory overload when you go to Longwood Gardens. And yet, all the beauty that we see in a place like Longwood Gardens is only a faint shadow of what pre-fall creation looked like. Just a faint shadow. So it's no surprise that God saw that it was good, everything that he had made to make the land fruitful and beautiful. Our God formed and filled the heavens and the earth, so enjoy it to his glory as his people. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And so he separates all that vegetation into two groups. There are plants with external seed and plants with internal seed. Okay, at this point, after the first three days, God has completed his first act in the drama of creation. God has turned what was formless, what was tohu, and gave it form. And now he will take what was void, what was bohu, and fill it. He's going to fill it with life. Forming is done, now God does the filling. And so he will take those spaces formed in the first three days and then fill them on the last three days. So on day four, God creates celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and the stars. So day four lines up with day one, the creation of light. God formed light on day one, and now God fills space with objects to rule over the day and night, to give light, to govern time. Verses 14 and 15, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made these things, these celestial bodies, for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Without the sun, we'd have no way to track or measure time. It's always been reference to the sun. You know, we have 24 hours in a day. That's the amount of time the earth takes to rotate once so that we have day and night. We have 365 days in a year, the time needed for the earth to travel once around the sun, full circuit, full course. So the sun gives us time, motion gives us time, and then the sun gives us our seasons. If we didn't have a sun, we, didn't, we wouldn't have seasons. But just having a sun isn't enough for seasons. Have you ever paused to think about the tilt of the earth, how we are sitting at a 23-degree angle? We're not, the planet Earth is not straight up and down. We're at a slight angle. And that 23 degrees is so important. Without that 23 degrees, we wouldn't have our four seasons. If there wasn't a tilt and we were straight up and down, we'd have the same weather year-round. Uh, without that tilt, in this part, of the, this part of the world, we probably have winter year-round. Some of you kids are probably thinking, that'd be awesome, endless snow days if it was winter all the time. Well, that'd be great for the first few months, and then we'd all realize that nothing grows here in the winter, and then we'd all starve. Some scientists actually think that all life would die if we didn't have a tilt, as the vapors from the ocean would move north and south, piling up continents of ice. Basically, that world would freeze over. So we see how perfect God's design is. It's a design intended to support human life. Or consider the moon. We've looked at the sun. Consider the moon. The moon is 240,000 miles from Earth. It will take you three days to travel in space to get there. But if the moon were closer, 
its gravity would create waves so big that the entire ocean would cover all of our continents. It would pull in those tides and we'd be all flooded. So you think about that and you think about how creation is good. It's good that the sun, moon, and earth are placed by God at the perfect location, at the perfect orientation, so that life can not just survive, but thrive. God did all that so he could create life in human beings. And we also see creation is separation. The sun and the moon separate time into days and time into seasons and years. So give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136. So that's day four. On day five, God creates fish and birds. And day five lines up with day two. Remember, day two was the creation of the seas and the sky, that expanse. So God formed that space on day two, and now he fills it on day five. Let's look at verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20 says living creatures, and that's to distinguish between all vegetation. And the sea animals are divided or separated into two groups. You see that there are great sea creatures and then other living creatures that swarm. So we have big stuff like crocodiles and whales and then smaller stuff like fish that God created. And did you know, and this is something interesting I found out as I was studying, that there are 700,000 marine species, 700,000 that God has created. It's amazing diversity. And then all different kinds of birds that God made. And this was fascinating to me. For years, scientists thought that there were about 10,000 species of birds on planet Earth, 10,000. But six years ago, a new study came out making the case that scientists were vastly undercounting birds. Birds might look the same. They, they might have thought they were the same species. But upon a closer look, it turns out they're different or they might be, they might be different. And the actual number might be closer to 18,000. 18,000 might actually be double the number that we originally thought. It just reminds me, as we get to know more and more about God's creation, as we study it as we should, we realize how much we don't know. And this variety of species that we enjoy and we study today, that doesn't even include all the species lost through extinction. And so as God saw on day five, the sheer number, the sheer diversity, the sheer complexity of fish and birds God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And for the first time in, on day five, we see God bless creation. Look at verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And we'll see this over and over again throughout Genesis, the blessing of God. God desires creation to prosper to be fruitful, to multiply, to thrive. 
And finally, on day six, God creates animals and man in another double creation, just like there was a double creation on day three. And we'll cover the creation of man later on, God saving the best for last. The six days are building up to that one point, the apex, the climax, the creation of human beings. So stay tuned. It's coming. But day six lines up with day three, the creation of dry land. God formed that land on day three, and now he fills it on day six. Verse 24, and God said, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. We see land creatures are separated into three different groups, livestock, creeping things, and beasts. Livestock such as cattle and oxen and other large land animals. Creeping things such as reptiles, snakes and lizards and beasts of the earth, probably wild animals and other predatory animals. But notice the absence of blessing on these land creatures. You kind of expect after God blessed the fish and the birds on day five, he'd bless the land creatures on day six as well. But look at verse 24 and 25. There's no blessing. No blessing. No blessing until part two of day six, the creation of man, the creation of humanity. In part two of day six, God blesses man, humanity, not animals, to be fruitful and multiply. God raised us up to rule over and take care of creation. So it seems like the other animals shouldn't be allowed to compete or crowd out human beings. To bring things to a close, as we've seen, the cosmos didn't all just happen. Not randomly, not through mutations. We didn't come from nothing and for nothing. Our God formed and filled the heavens and the earth, so enjoy it to his glory as his people. And we see that as God created, as he formed and filled over these six days, that there's purpose in creation. He's building up towards something, the creation of humanity. There is meaning and value, beauty and direction in what God has made. God saw that it was good. And it's a phrase repeated six times in these first 25 verses. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God made it good for his glory and our enjoyment. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Genesis 1 and the rest of the Bible leaves no room for any worldview that rejects the goodness of creation, the enjoyment of God's creation. Viewing creation as something bad, something dirty, or something that we have to escape. Genesis 1 leaves no room for Buddhism or Hinduism or asceticism with the goal of escaping earthly life, escaping the earthly body, and achieving a higher spiritual life. Well, in contrast, the biblical worldview says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, 1 Timothy 4. But Genesis 1 also leaves no room for hedonism, 
the opposite of asceticism. Hedonism rejects the spiritual and only embraces the physical creation. Hedonism takes God's good gifts and all the pleasures of this world, all the pleasures of this life, and turns them into gods, turns them into ultimate objects. Hedonism worships creation, its joys and its pleasures, and not the creator. And as we looked at last time, why worship and serve creation when you can have the creator? And those who don't know God, those who aren't part of God's people, they can still enjoy God's creation. There's this thing called common grace. God bestows his blessing on all humanity, whether they are saved or not, whether they're his people or not. But every time they enjoy it, every time those who don't know God enjoy creation, the Bible warns us that they sin even more because they fail to honor God or thank Him for the good gifts they enjoy. In Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, after seeing the writing on the wall, will be judged. Daniel chapter 5, verse 23. This is God's judgment. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. King Belshazzar and Babylon, they were worshiping creation, not the creator, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. And there are some here this morning, and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for joining our worship service here this morning. We want you to know something infinitely important for, the, for your eternal well-being. God commands everyone everywhere to repent because there's coming a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. He is the creator and Lord of this universe. He made it all. He owns it all. And you owe Him your allegiance. And as a sinner, you've lived for yourself. You've taken God's good gifts in creation then turned your back on God and then slammed the door on your way out. And on that great and final day, every lie, every outburst of anger, every act of disobedience against your parents, every time you enjoyed creation without acknowledging and thanking and worshiping the God of creation, every time you violate God's holy and perfect law, it will show that you are guilty. And it will show that hell is the only just punishment for those who have sinned against an infinitely holy, infinitely wise, good, gracious, and powerful God. So come to the Savior today. Come to Christ today. Plead with Jesus to save you by His blood, by His perfect sacrifice on the cross when He died for your sins. So confess your sins, confess your guilt, and then place your full faith and trust and hope in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and everlasting life. Then and only then can you enjoy creation the way God intended. You see, God is a separating God. We've seen that all throughout creation as God separated light from darkness God separated the sky from the sea, the sea from the land. God has separated his people, separated his people from sin to holiness, from judgment to salvation, from the power of Satan to the power of God. As God separates in creation, God separates in redemption. 
And this is the message of the Old and the New Testaments. God separates a people for himself to enjoy a good creation to his glory. And only when you have been separated, set apart, belonging to God through faith in Jesus Christ, can you enjoy good food? Can you enjoy drink and friends and pleasures, all that this world has to offer, enjoying them as God's people who live for God's glory? So whether, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Let me end with this quote, and then the, uh, we'll be singing a response hymn. Creation began with darkness, waste, and void. But at the end, there was a marvelous creation at rest, blessed, and sanctified by God. God transformed the chaos into the cosmos, turned darkness into light, and altered that which was unprofitable to that which was good, holy, and worth blessing. This parallels the direction of the Pentateuch as a whole, in which God redeems Israel from the darkness and chaos of Egypt and leads them on toward blessing and rest. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and awesome and mighty God. Lord, you have created everything for your glory and our enjoyment. Teach us to enjoy your good creation in a way that honors you and remembers you and brings glory to your great name. In Jesus' name, amen.